0: Welcome, one and all, to episode 140 of the original Giraffe Breakdown podcast. I'm your host Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host Justin Higdon, and Justin, according to a little later this week, our our producer Robert Bond is uh, dealing with well the COVID, of course. Uh, luckily for us, we're all um, we're all in different states, so we don't have anything to worry about unless this starts to, you know. Go through the internet, and then in which case we're all going to die. So, but (laughs) outside of that, how how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, I'm
1: glad Robert's feeling better. We, you know, we had a good New Year's on my end. Uh, I'm glad you're back. I had to try and hold it down last week and fill in, fill your shoes. So that was uh, kind of an adventure because I hadn't done that before. But hopefully, you guys all enjoyed listening to that. If you haven't listened to it. You can check out our Patreon. I have made it public. There's no paywall, so anybody can go listen to last week's show where I talked a lot about the quarterbacks and um, kind of scenarios of how, that, how the draft might shake out from a quarterback standpoint. And then I uh, talked a little bit about the playoff games, which of course took place. So we're going to uh, recap that a little bit tonight. And then uh, on this week's Patreon show, we're going to preview the national championship game.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the first thing that we'll talk about is obviously these these bowl games and the fact that, you know, these uh, these games were not really close. And, and it's unfortunate, uh, you and I and some buddies, you know, we we texted back and forth during the games and after the games and, and had a bit of a conversation on, you know, the hypothetical, the hypothetical of, hey, let's... Uh, Let's take the top eight, just as they are in the college football playoffs. And and does anything change? And, and we said the only change that could have maybe come out of this is Ohio State beats Georgia, just because they present a bit of a matchup problem for Georgia, right? Like, they've got the ability to spread the field, attack at different levels. Um, but outside of that, I mean – it's really, it really came down to Alabama, Georgia, or Alabama, Ohio State. Like, it it was going to be Bama coming out of that one seed, and it felt like whoever won that, you know, hypothetical Georgia-Ohio um, State game, which would have been the 2-7 game, so it wouldn't have even been the semifinal, probably would have been able to handle... Uh, uh, Michigan for, I know Michigan already beat Ohio state once, but I mean, would Michigan have even won their, their first game? I mean, that's a fair question to ask after what we saw from them. Right.
1: You know, I think, um, it, again, we're talking in hypotheticals. Michigan had a home game against Ohio state. They were clearly primed for it and they did a fantastic job in that game. I think anybody that watched the Rose bowl, uh, saw that Ohio State's defense is, was having a lot of problems at different times this year. And one of the problems they had was that Michigan was able to run all over them and and kind of keep the ball out of that explosive Ohio State offense's hands. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Ohio State's offensive explosion in the Rose Bowl uh, toward the end of the show. But, um, yeah, it's it, it's just disappointing, I think, when we see, you know, there's, there's always a kind of clamoring for getting new teams into this playoff. And then when new teams get in, they kind of fall flat on their face. And there's only ever been, I think, five teams that have won a playoff game. And that remains true now because uh, two of those five were Alabama and Georgia, and they both took care of business uh, last weekend. So um, I think one of the, the biggest talking points about Michigan versus Georgia, though, was uh, was Aiden Hutchinson's performance. And there are a lot of takes on on this, and I think we're going to revisit – some of those takes in the hot takes section, but my question to you, uh, kind of the kind of the uh, the feeling of the of Twitter during that game was that Aiden Hutchinson was getting exposed by Georgia's offensive line. Do you agree with that?
0: No, I think what you saw was uh, what happens when there's a concerted effort to make him a non-factor, and it was just that he wasn't dominant in this game. And, and that made it, I mean, everybody saw the one play where he got bullied and, you know, they've kind of taken that as the play to show that he got dominated. But instead you look at the game plan, there was a lot of, you know, Georgia helped a lot on him, um, you know, sent two guys at him consistently. They also did a lot to get the ball out quick, uh, you know, and those situations I think expose more what you and I have talked about before, even great college teams or really good college teams, let's say in Michigan's case, not, you know, I, I don't want to give too much credit to Michigan and say they're a great college team this I guess great this year would be fine to say but the reality is he's playing with what maybe four guys that are going to play in the NFL Um, so maybe five of the 11 players are going to be NFL players Um, and they're going up against Georgia and Georgia's got you know what probably five guys six guys on their side that are going to play in the NFL. Um, And so it's a lot easier to game plan for one guy, right? Like it's a lot easier to go, hey, we're not going to let 97 beat us. I
1: think it's it's interesting too that um, you've got David Ajabo on on the other side and kind of to what you you mentioned about Hutchinson is how they used quick game and how they used um, some help for some of the linemen – to get away from Hutchinson but I'm not sure you know I wonder what it says that they gave so much attention so much more attention to Hutchinson than than they did to Jabo who I think you would agree with me is also a fantastic player and uh, a top-notch uh, edge player in this class but uh, you know you referenced the block that Jamari Salyer threw that, that where he pancaked Hutchinson we saw Hutchinson getting lined up a little wider than usual maybe to try and take advantage of his speed and it wasn't they weren't able to make it work out but a lot of the points we're mentioning here today i i think uh dane brugler made a lot of the same points and he called it given he said georgia gave him the bosa treatment so that's how teams used to approach uh joey bosa i think he was referring to but it could apply to either bosa brother when they were at ohio state this is kind of the the treatment where they'll they're willing, you know, Georgia was willing to uh, take their chances more with a than they were with Hutchinson, as far as I could tell.
0: Yeah. And, and so when you look at it, you know, it was, it was not the dominant performance. I think we were all hoping or expecting to see, especially after, you know, the last two games where he was a freak against uh, Ohio State and then in the, in the big Ten championship game. But at the same time you have to look at it and you, you know, if we, if we make every decision based off of uh, one game, right? Like uh, it's going to be really hard to draft anybody. (laughs) Right. And, and, and that's the thing is I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that he played poorly or was bad or anything like that. I just think it was a game where basically they, they dared uh, ten other guys to to stop them, and none of the you know Michigan defense was up to it. Now I read something; I got to find the numbers again, but it seemed like uh, Ojabo didn't play that much either.
1: Yeah, and and I don't have a snap count on that, but um, we do know that he Ojabo has since declared as well. So not not really sure why. You know, he would have been limited in that game uh, off the top of my head. But, you know, the thing about Hutchinson is if you ask – I think if you went and asked the players on Georgia if they thought he was exposed or some something to that effect, they would tell you, like, no, we we knew that guy was getting a potential problem when we game planned and we, uh, we tried to account for him as much as possible on, on every play. We thought, you know, by – putting our attention on him, that gave us the best chance to win. And they were able to, as I suspected, they were able to control Michigan's offense when they were on the defensive side of the ball. Georgia was a a stifling run defense, and that's Michigan's game is is power running. Michigan's game isn't throwing the ball around the field. So by controlling Michigan's offense, limiting them – Georgia was able to put up enough offense to create a, a wider gap. I, You know, on last week's show, I thought it was going to be a close game, and I thought Michigan might even cover that seven-and-a-half-point spread. But I did think that Michigan would, would be the low-scoring team in this game, and they end up scoring 11 points. So I think if you ask Georgia, they probably said Aiden Hutchinson's a focal point. Uh, Hassan Haskins was probably the focal point for their defense. And everything else, they were just, like you said, kind of daring uh, all the other Michigan players to beat them.
0: When you look at the other bowl games, one of the conversations is about obviously quarterbacks and, and Matt Corral being one of those conversations. Did he make a bad decision in, in playing in that game?
1: I, I think hindsight's twenty twenty. And um, the fact that he got injured is, is really unfortunate. But I don't think that's a bad decision because I think it's a personal decision. And we saw quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong, uh, those two, for example, decided to opt out of their bowl games. But Corral was in a New Year's Six Bowl. And it, that's a high-profile game. And he's a competitor. Uh, you know, Clearly, you see that from him on the field. He's not a big guy. But he is a tough guy. We saw earlier in the season he had a game where he ran the ball 30 times. And then uh, he got injured and he was playing through injury. So it's just kind of his competitive nature. It, it was unfortunate. Uh, it was a scary-looking injury when it happened. And it's fortunate that it doesn't sound like it's going to be too severe and, and that hopefully he will be able to participate in the workouts during the offseason. It doesn't sound like a it, the, the x-rays were negative. It doesn't sound like he he tore any ligaments or tendons, um, so very fortunate for him. It's easy, I think it's easy for anyone to say like he made he shouldn't have played in that game, um, but I guess this is a good time to bring up like Kirk Herbstreet's comments uh, the other day where he seemed critical of players who were opting out of the bowl games, and for those of you that listened to this show for a long time. Uh, at least in recent years, we have not been critical of this decision to opt out because we understand, you know there are playoff games where you have maybe something at stake, and then there are games like the ones that Pickett and Carson Strong were slated to play in. In years past, we haven't seen quarterbacks opt out too too often. But now we're starting to see that, and it, it's understandable. If Corral would have opted out, it would have been totally understandable. I don't agree with Herb Street saying that players opting out don't love the game, especially when you're seeing players like uh, Micah Parsons and uh, Jamar Chase who didn't even play their their final college seasons because of the COVID situation, still being dominant NFL players. I think to to criticize, I get that herb Street and like Desmond Howard who's also critical come from a different era but they have to understand what's at stake now and uh, you know Corral would have been in his rights to opt out of this game I it's fun as a fan that he didn't so we expected that he was gonna play and it's unfortunate that he got hurt and now you're gonna probably see more guys opt out understandably
0: one of the I guess surprises was how conservative Cincinnati played, and my buddy and I um, that coached together, we gambled together. I mean, we do a, a lot, a lot about football together, and he mentioned that like these these teams get in, they get their opportunity or their chance, and then they're just super conservative. Um, was that surprising to you considering they have, you know, Desmond Ritter on offense and then they have a My J Sanders and an Ahmed Gardner, you know, Sauce Gardner on, on defense that they were as conservative as they were? Well, it's
1: a tough situation. They're the, they're the first group of five team to get into the playoffs, but... Um, I, I look at it in a different way. I mean, from a draft Nick perspective, if you thought that uh, Desmond Ritter was a first-round quarterback and Luke Fickle and, and his staff took a conservative approach instead of letting Ritter attack an Alabama secondary that's a little bit in, uh, more inexperienced, maybe not what they have been in the past, If you're not a little bit more more aggressive, I think you have to wonder, you know, what that says about Ritter. And I'm not saying that Fickle and Company don't have confidence in Ritter, but I think they were intimidated by Alabama, and that's not the way to approach that game. When you're a group of five team and you're into the playoffs for the first time, I think you have to go all out. And if you lose forty, you know, forty-one to three. You, it, you wouldn't be the first one. I remember Ohio state getting shut out 31 nothing to Clemson. I remember Michigan state and Washington getting blown out in playoffs. I think you have to go in there and you have to attack. And I I don't I think Ritter is limited. And I said on last week's show I think he's a day 2 guy and maybe not even a second round prospect to me. And I don't get the first round hyper on him at all, but I do think that you have to let him go out there and, and attack. He's a veteran quarterback. He's a four-year guy. Uh, he's been a starter almost the entire time he's been at Cincinnati. He's got athleticism. He has a good but not great arm. And he did – I think he did seem handcuffed. Um, I think Cincinnati's defense actually played fairly well. Uh, they did a good job. Uh, Jameson Williams only had seven catches for 62 yards. Those uh, Cincy corners played pretty tough, and they had some injuries that came about during the game too. But uh, yeah, I I think to me Ritter wasn't a disappointment. He was kind of who I thought he was, but it's it's kind of weird to me that I it's it almost seemed like Luke Fickle thought he was that guy too, or whoever's calling plays on offense for them. So. I think, when you, I think you just have to be more aggressive when you get to this situation if you're a big underdog like that.
0: Sanders didn't play poorly. Um, Gardner didn't play poorly, but they were clearly overmatched uh, from a team perspective.
1: Yeah. And, and, Did, and Sanders, I think, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I thought Sanders was getting a little bit of hype around this game that I was not really seeing it. Uh, he did end up the game with a couple solo tackles, and he was in He was in on five others, so he was credited with assists on five other tackles. You have three hurries credited to him. If you measure pressures by some uh, metric, then some people are probably going to say he had a lot of pressures. But I felt like Twitter... Uh, in watching the game and in following along on Twitter was kind of going out of their way to praise him. What did you think about that?
0: You know, I go back and forth. I thought he played fine. I thought he did his job. Um, I don't like their defense. I've talked about this with Zayvon Collins in Arizona. Like, the three three five defense is just so dumb. Um, and, and realistically, and we talked about this in our, our group text during the game, it seemed almost like uh, they let uh Bama let Cynthia off the hook by trying to throw the ball so much, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean they they ran for a ton of yards too, but uh, well, I, uh, when they mean, came out like and
0: ran early in the game, they were running at will and then they get kind of into that into that red zone area, and then all of a sudden they would stop running the ball, and you're like, hey, why did you stop running the ball? Was the eight yards per play too much? Like, <laughs> right. you you want to make it more difficult? And so, like, that was just the weird thing to me. Yeah, they started about- with ten consecutive
1: rushing plays, and then, uh, like, like you said, they kind of got away from that a little bit. But at the same time, you've got the Heisman winner back there who threw for, like, 400 against Georgia. So... You, you feel like you can, you, you know, I think at that point, Saban and company, uh, Bill O'Brien, you know, they felt like they could do anything on that team. To Cincy's credit, I think Cincy tightened up, but they just weren't able to keep up scoring-wise.
0: Which player uh, helped his draft stock the most in Friday's playoffs game for you? You know, for me, I think it was
1: James Cook from – From Georgia, and there are a number of candidates. I could have gone with Darian Beavers from Cincinnati, who I thought played a really good game. Uh, He's their linebacker, and I think he, you know, in prospect talk, he's been overshadowed by Sanders. But Cook is a player – he's Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Uh, This is not a great running back class. Cook's never been the lead guy in Georgia because they use a rotation. But he – is a track guy. He's going to run a 4-4, four, four, maybe a high 4-3 when it comes down to it. He's a little undersized. It's about 5'10", 5'11", 190, 195 pounds. But in this game, not, not too much to speak of on the ground. You've got a tough Michigan run defense there. But he had three catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. And on that touchdown in particular, you saw the speed, the game-breaking ability. So I think in a... In a down quarter, in a I'm sorry, in a down running back class, a player like Cook, who has pedigree, who, who has track speed, receiving ability, that's a player that's valuable in today's NFL, and I think he helped himself uh, put himself on the on the radar, and not to say that he wasn't. Obviously, he plays for Georgia. Everybody knows who who James Cook is, but uh, I think he reminded people how good of a prospect
0: he was. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with two Cincy guys, even though they, I, I didn't think that they played aggressive enough. As we talked about, I thought that there were some issues they had. I'm, I'm going to go with Brian cook, the the safety. I thought he played well um, in that game. He had nine tackles. He was kind of and an interception in that game. He was kind of the main guy that you saw creating havoc um you know i'm interested in his in what he actually comes in at cuz we've had some issues with Cincy's weight and, and height right I, if i remember correctly you,
1: you you see that more in the group of 5 than the power 5 because with the power 5 a lot of times when they have the pro days they have juniors um and, you know, underclassmen work out and get official measurements. So I think that's kind of a group of five thing. But we've also seen at schools like West Virginia, too. Um, and I think Virginia Tech.
0: Yeah. And so I, you know, I'm interested because they list him at 6'1", 210 pounds. Um, he's a fifth-year guy. He was injured a couple of years ago. So that's, you know, so he's got he's, – he's a guy that – he's a two way safety in the sense that he showed that he can play, you know, assist in the run game, but he is shown and grown as a player in coverage. And I think those are the big things for a guy like him. Um, he finished the season with two interceptions and nine passes defensed. And then you look at his career, uh, he had, you know, four interceptions as a true freshman back in all the way back in 2017. And then, um, and then he had one interception and three passes defensed. And and we don't weigh that. that those numbers aren't as important uh, for safeties as they are for uh, corners. But when corners put up numbers, or sorry, safeties put up numbers, it always catches our eyes. Uh, so Cook's a guy that I liked. And the other one that, I, I gotta say, I was impressed with was Jerome Ford, the the Bama transfer. I don't even know if he's going to declare. He's only a junior. he did.
1: He actually did declare. Oh, he's in the he, senior bowl. Did.
0: Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh Man, he is. He, he he was he was a guy that when you watched him run, you you could have seen him running for Bama, right? Like you you could. You could almost be like, oh, man, this is a Bama running back. The way the physicality and the way he plays. He finished the season with over 1,300 yards and 19 touchdowns. But in the game, he had 15 carries for 77 yards. And you're saying, well, that's nothing. You know, that's not very impressive. I mean, that's over five yards a carry against a Georgia defense. Bama. Or, sorry, a Bama defense that was, yeah, geared up to – you know daring them to to run the football or to throw the football right and and daring Desmond Ritter to beat them and they handed the ball off to this guy again I'm always wary of this stuff but they've listed him at 511 220 pounds uh, that's a that's a big back uh, and we've seen that these guys with this running style, that they're they're good for first contracts and, and when you're looking at running backs, if you can get four years and, and you know, thirty five hundred rushing yards out of a guy, that's a that's a win when you're talking about a, a late day two, early day three type of runner.
1: Yeah, I don't think he'll make it to day three. Um I, I really like Ford a lot and uh, supposedly he's a four four guy. He's another player with Dude, with, if he's
0: if he's five if he comes in at five ten and let's say two over two ten, and he's sub four five like the way with his running style, that's going to be impressive.
1: I think his I think his size and speed is pretty legit, honestly. And Ford is a player. We're going to talk about um, our kind of. We're going to kind of do a rapid fire of our top guys on the Patreon show this week. But Ford is a player that I think people are coming are becoming wise to. Um, so it's big for him to – he had a big year. He, I think – I agree with you. He played well in this game, and now he's going to be a senior bowl running back. And I don't think senior bowl is really uh, crucial for running backs. It's, it's not a great environment. Uh, you don't see much out of practice for running backs. But uh, he, I think he will test well, and I think he is a player – there's no question, like, why he was recruited by Alabama and why he originally signed there. And he, he transferred, I think, because it was just kind of crowded, a crowded backfield. So well, yeah, this I mean,
0: you look at it like he would have been a senior this year, probably, or, or a retro right. junior this year. I don't know if he had to sit out a year because of the transfer. Uh, but you look at it, he yeah, that he would have been um, – you know, fighting with Brian Robinson for carries. And normally you might be a little bit
1: wary of a group of five back who maybe was, you know, a three-star recruit or something who, who just puts up huge numbers in uh, those conferences. Think Kenneth Dixon. You know, there were people who said Kenneth Dixon was better a better but prospect he, than he, Ezekiel he, Elliott, but, but he this is a power five guy who went to group of five to for playing
0: time. But he also ended up testing that great right if i remember right you know i i mean and he was a little bit
1: smaller he, he
0: i think he tested
1: okay but he was a little bit smaller and um i think it's just i think the nfl does have it's uh blinders on sometimes for the group of 5 or the small school guys if they don't really like pop at the senior bowl or at the combine you know what i mean so but ford is a player who he has that – he went to that Power Five, one of the best teams in the country. He was recruited there. He went there. He transferred more for playing time as far as I know, and he had a great year. And this was his first year as a starter. You have to keep that in mind. Like he split time with Jared Dokes last year for Cincinnati. So this was his first time getting the bulk of the carries, but he did really well with it, and he's a, he's looks like a pretty good receiver out of the backfield too. So Ford is a player – well, Normally I might to that
0: point you know when you see these big guys come out typically they've got a lot of you know th- they've got a lot of tread off the tires already but like you said he hasn't run the ball a ton and that means that he's still got some some usage left which I think is something that gets underplayed for a guy like Ford um you know and, and that could be big for his you know for his career
1: Yeah, and I think he also got banged up in this game early on. He banged up his wrist when he got knocked out of bounds. But he got uh, checked out, He stayed in the game. So this is a player, I don't think – not only does he not have a lot of wear and tear, but he showed that he he got banged up. I don't know, they taped it up a little bit more, and he got back into the game. So
0: uh, good call
1: on Ford, definitely.
0: Looking ahead, are uh, are your boys from Ohio State going into the twenty twenty three class? CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba are they the you know quarterback one and wide receiver one? I mean, we know they've got running back one for twenty twenty four, in Trayvon Henderson. But what about what about Stroud and Smith and Jigba?
1: Well. I have to mention these guys this week because Smith and Jigba, he now has the Ohio State single-season record with 95 catches. Their single-season receiving yards record was 1,605 yards. He has the single-game catch record with 15, and he did it twice this year. And then he had the uh, Buckeye record and all-FBS bowl game record with 346 receiving yards in that Rose Bowl win over Utah. Utah looked like they were taking control of that game early, but Ohio State's passing game just lit it up, and nobody could cover Smith and Jigba, and that was with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave sitting out, opting out of this game. So, yeah, uh, Wilson also ended the year over 1,000 yards. Olave was close. He had uh, led the team in touchdowns, and just a, a dynamic uh offensive player. Smith and Jigbo was a big time recruit and he's lived up to it. To do that as a true sophomore, we haven't seen a true sophomore season out of a receiver like that. Uh, Not like it's been a long time, but that's kind of similar to what Jamar Chase did in LSU's title run when they had Justin Jefferson and also Terrace Marshall on that team. So to think about what Smith and Jigbo was able to do as a true sophomore with two other potential first round picks at receiver. Uh, it's phenomenal, and I think he's going to run in the 4 fours. And he's built like the other two guys on his team. So they have a type, and that type is working out really well for, for them. Um, is he the wide receiver number one? He might be because the other guy I might have mentioned is, is Keyshawn Butte, and he is going to be coming off an ACL injury for LSU and coming into a lot of uncertainty with their coaching situation, with their quarterback situation. Uh, Stroud, I think you're going to see a lot of people are going to say Bryce Young is the quarterback one going into next year. But it seems like Ohio State keeps having these prolific passers, and it seems to me that each time the passing of that guy gets better. So you had Dwayne Haskins, and he turned out to be a bit of a system guy, and he doesn't have the athleticism of, of these other guys. But then you have Justin Fields who had a great career in two years at Ohio State, led him to the playoffs two times and, and uh, into the national championship game once. And now you have Stroud. He finished fourth in the Heisman, but he he broke the Ohio State single-game record with 573 yards passing in that Rose Bowl. And remember, Utah's defense was touted. They were, That was a good defense. And he has five of the top ten single-game totals in Ohio State history in his first year as a starter. Uh, he's also one of three Buckeyes to throw six TDs in a game twice. So he did that this year. Uh, I really think Stroud is a top two quarterback heading into next year. And I think Smith and Joe is a top two receiver heading into next year. So it's exciting if you're an Ohio state fan, or if you're a, a, a draft Nick to watch those guys and to see what they did against Utah. Uh, granted Utah was down with some defensive backs injured and, uh, they were playing a running back at, at cornerback. And Buckeyes took full advantage and just uh, ended up coming back from a big deficit and winning that game. So uh, Exciting players on that squad. And they've got a deep uh, wide receiver room, even with the top two guys leaving.
0: You got a hot take for us before we get out of here tonight. Yeah, so
1: the, the hot takes really kind of center around – Aiden Hutchinson this week, because, you know, we talked about, I don't think, we don't think he played that poorly. Uh, Dane Brugler agrees with us from The Athletic. But uh, Mr. Rich J. Madrid, at Rich J. Madrid on Twitter, he doesn't agree. He said, uh, Hutchinson might not even be a top five edge in this class. First overall pick? Laugh my ass off, come on. What do you think about that take?
0: You know, it's interesting when you look at it and you say, "Well, may not even be a top five overall edge in the class." And it's like, okay, well, you got Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, if you don't want to say he's edge one, I'm fine with that. Like, it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't hurt <laughs> well, me.
1: What if you want to put him behind Carl Loftus? That was my the hot take I read on last week's show.
0: And so, so now you're at you're at edge three. Okay. So where do you want to put him
1: behind Ojabo? That that I mean, was a gam scout take earlier today.
0: Like, would you really put him behind a his own teammate that played worse and less snaps in the same game? I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I, and I love I, Ojabo. I love him. No, I know you do, and that's why I'm saying is like that's always my question when people are like, "Well, look how bad he played." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, okay, he didn't. Okay, he didn't tear it up. I mean, he didn't put up his his." You know, huge numbers. But what did Ojabo do? Oh, nothing. Oh, and he played less snaps.
1: He probably missed a bunch of pressures, Seth. I I tend to. But let's let's concede, Thibodeau. Let's say let's play devil's advocate. Let's say he's behind Carl Loftus and Ojabo. So that puts him at four. Who's who is the fifth guy that's ahead of him?
0: Well, and that's where I I mean. Yeah, and that's where I struggle, right? It's like, okay, you've got, if you want to give uh, Thibodeau and and Karloftis the nod, and even Ojabo, okay, yeah, where are you getting four or five guys in front of him? Like, because we just, we just, like, if you want to flip a coin that he's won, I don't have any problem with that. if you want to flip a coin say he's three, I'll have more of a problem with that. But I'm a big Karloftis guy. So, like, you're probably not going to get a huge argument from me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think even when I talked about Karloftis uh, over him as being a hot take last week, the more I talked it through, the less convinced I was of it even being that hot of a take. Uh, that kind of happened to me in real time. But um, because I was thinking about how teams – play those dominant players when that's like the key guy and they're trying to limit the impact of that guy ruining their day. Um, So I kind of almost, I don't want to take it back. I kind of still think that's a hot take, but they're closer. Karloftis and and Hutchinson, you know, maybe that I gave credit for last week. But that being said, I think people are getting, you know, pre- be becoming prisoners of the moment at a time like this to make a take like that because what are you going to do when Hutchinson act- absolutely blows up at the combine like we all expect him to, and then you've got a situation where you're you're going to have to backtrack, and it's not like you know I made a I made a terrible mistake years ago when I was questioning how Miles Garrett's numbers would actually look. And I kind of learned my lesson from that. These schools may exaggerate these numbers a bit, but they tend to be in the ballpark. So if Bruce Feldman's saying the guy's a freak and he's on the freak list, you're going to get pretty close numbers when it comes to the combine or comes to the pro day. So I I say don't become a prisoner of the moment. And you know, have a good reason why you don't think he's a top five guy after he blows up at the combine at, at 6'6", 265.
0: right? And and so that's the thing is like we we know that two of these guys Hutchinson and Karloftis are going to test out of this world, and I think so, Hutchinson
1: probably a little bit better,
0: right? And so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting for the the fans to and and the the pundits to really decide how they want to you know address these guys from a from a play and production standpoint but all I can say is this dude look if there are 31 teams after the Cardinals win the Super Bowl that are dumb enough not to draft Aiden Hutchinson like because that's I mean that's usually where where edge five would go, right? It's kind of bottom of, of round one. Uh, yeah, it depends on the year, but uh, yeah,
1: like, you know, I kind of see that bottom of the, of round one guy being maybe a guy like Sanders who's going to test really well, but doesn't have the production similar to how Jason, how Odafe Owe was uh, last year. So, yeah, I don't think, I mean, a guy with that set the Michigan record for sacks and finished second in the Heisman ballots is not going to fall to 31. Right.
0: Exactly. So that's, like, that's it's insane. just, yeah. So, uh, anything else before we get out of here? No, just, uh, if you want to sign up
1: for the bonus episode, it's uh, two bucks a month. You can go over to our Patreon. I usually link it in the show notes. If you don't see it in this week, it's because I forgot. And you can go back to previous episode and link to it there. Two bucks a month, you get a bonus episode every week. Four bucks a month, you get a lot of written content. And uh, I I previewed every single bowl game except the bowl game that happened on Tuesday night because anything that happens after the New Year's uh, Day doesn't count. And uh, otherwise, I hope everybody had a a great Christmas. Happy New Year. And thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Give us a five-star review and all of that. And uh, we'll be coming uh, fast and furious as we are now full on into draft season, we've got the national championship game and then it's all draft all the time.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, what we'll be into. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate you guys listening and subscribing and make sure you tell your friends uh, about the podcast. Cause I, we think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, thanks for listening. As always. And we'll be back with a bonus episode later this week.
1: We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that.
0: Yeah, we should work on something like
1: that. That we could should. be it right a, there.
0: A, a read, yeah. That's it right. yeah. So,
1: Exactly. <laughs>